Hello, everybody. I'm Dell Shores. And I'm Emerson Collins, and you're watching The Dell and Emerson Show. Straight talk. Real gay. That's it. Real yeah, gay. Yeah. It right. is debate night. We have things to talk about. We have distractions to get through. How are you, Del Shores? I'm, I'm kind of giddy about the debate. I'm excited to see who's... You are? Yeah, I'm excited to see it. Are you don't, you're oh. not giddy about it? No. It okay. is like an hour and a half torture. It feels like a final exam. Like you have to show up to get the grade. But I just, honestly, it's because I'm like, please, Biden, don't say anything dumb and let him say all the dumb things. And please don't well, get into like, a dick swinging contest. Like, I just feel like there's so many ways for it to go awry for those stupid undecideds. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, I, I was I was listening to a bunch of stuff uh, uh, where, the, uh, you know, what are those things? Those oh. commentaries, commentary. Uh -huh. like, they, were, uh -huh. they honestly don't, they, do, do, they don't do much, the debates. They don't sway them. But there have been in history a couple that have really, you know, like Dukakis. You know. I, I think what it is, it's not that it can like sway like big, but it, I think it can be really impactful on those theoretical, like undecided in the middle. I do think... With the group of people that are that are inclined to be Republican, that are willing to vote for Joe Biden this time, that group is the dangerous group. Yeah, I mean, at this point, if you're undecided, I just think you're dumb. But I don't know if I I don't think I've ever been undecided in my life. Can you imagine me being about undecided? anything? About anything, I'm undecided. Like you've never heard me say. You've never asked me a question and go, Dell, blah 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 blah. Oh, Emerson, I'm undecided. I'm undecided. Oh. I don't have any opinion about that right, right I know, now. No, just not once. Uh, not once. I, I, I do actually. There are a couple things in life I've decided I'm not going to learn about that, and I do not have an opinion. Well, just, okay. it's just that it's not many, but some. Um, hey, everybody, welcome to the show. Um, what we do here is the LGBTQ news and nonsense. So whether you're watching us on one of our Facebook pages, on my YouTube channel, or on Periscope on Twitter, say hi. Please share the broadcast with your friends, family, and fans. Uh, invite them to our little party because it's a lot of day. I feel like we have to kick off. Yeah, let's kick with, it. Kick with, it. With, the, with, with, the, with the terrible news that Eric Trump tried to identify today as a queer person, an LGBTQ person even. Yes, I tweeted him and I said, uh, on behalf of my brothers and sisters of the LGBTQ family, we don't want you. Correct. We do not fucking want you. We don't, really. So um, Gary agrees with you. Sorry, we do not want Eric Trump. He will never be one of us. And then and someone, someone tweeted me back, the heterosexuals don't want him either. We don't want him either. Sorry, so you got to keep him. He's just in limbo somewhere. We're having to deal with the 45% of gay men Hornet users that want to vote for Trump. You can keep the actual Trumps on your side. And that Richard Grinnell, we have to have him. So. For those of you who might not have seen the clip, he was on Fox News and they were doing a weird, hilarious pander from this, uh, I believe, lesbian woman about how she's a member of our community, but she supports Trump and all the things he's doing. And Eric was trying to say he hears from a lot of people from our community. So he said... I am one of the community and I support Trump and da, 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 But he left out the transition. So he just said, I am a member of this community. I. Yes. 
And and but what I found interesting about that clip uh, it was like, um, I, I love that that they were reading from this anonymous woman, and 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 she said this, and she said that they could have just made this shit up. I mean, they truly could have just made this shit up because there was no, you know, the one thing that I did learn in in Baylor journalism school. Oh, uh -huh. the one thing. You, 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 there was one little thing. You had to have a source. You couldn't just, you know, you couldn't just like say, "Oh, I heard, I hear say that uh, this woman that is a lesbian up in Buffalo uh, likes Trump." You can't, you know, you don't put that on the news and call it news. It's like, yeah. I think we should change it to Fox partial news. Well, it's also, it's like among the many paradigms and uh, foundations of democracy that Trump is single-handedly destroying, one of them is the concept of a source, right? Because his favorite thing is to say, well, I heard people are saying, yeah. well, people are saying, I'm like, well, where, where are you encountering people, first of all? Was that Melania on your way to your wing of the house and you thought she was a strange woman and she counted as a source? Like, where's he encountering people? Well, they ask him and he goes, I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not uh, at liberty to, to uh, discuss that right now. You know, it's, it's that kind of just complete, do, you know, poor house, little sidestep, a little sidestep. Yep. Oh, that's that <laughs> such a good number for this entire administration. That show is so, that movie was so important in my personal sexual development. It was my first Broadway show ever to see. Oh, yeah. I didn't see the show until way later, but that movie, Burt Reynolds in a little teeny tiny underwear, where does, do you think that comes from? The Aggies in their jock straps, Dolly Parton changing clothes and hair multiple times in a single number for no reason. I mean, you can sum up my entire sexuality with that movie about a whorehouse. And I bet you sang Hard Candy Christmas too. I, I bet still you do. It's on my Christmas playlist. <laughs> it's not even a real Christmas song, but it, it, we've made it one. We've made it one. Absolutely. It, it counts as much as Die Hard the movie counts as a Christmas film. Well, yes, it does. And it counts as much as my favorite things. But, you know, that's we, we should leave that to December. I know. We, we, we're, we're already we're already falling down the rabbit hole. Uh, hey to all the regulars. I see everybody saying hello. Um, we will get to the news in a second. But, Dell, you have several exciting uh, pieces yes. of news to share. First of all, Sunday night, 5 o'clock uh, my time, which is West Coast time. And that would be, oh, what do we call ourselves? We call ourselves not. Pacific. We're, see, that's the ocean we're next to. And then I'm like getting to be like Joe Biden. And then um, and then on um, the the East Coast, it'll be eight o'clock, the shit stir. And I'm going to stir up some shit and and talk about some shit. And, and y'all, if you, if you like my rants here, if you like my rants on Instagram or my ramblings, is a whole hour and at least hour and 15 minutes. And Emerson's opening for me and being a part of the show. And I'm really excited about it. So just and right also, y'all. We're doing a VIP after party that's a Zoom with us and some special guests, limited to 20. There's like six of those tickets left. Uh, so you go to Dell's website, dellshorts.com, and it will be live streamed to his Facebook. So there's Ann Walker, Rosemary Alexander, and Newell Alexander are joining us. So that's that's exciting. And then we can segue right into out on film tomorrow night is screening Sorted Lives 20th anniversary and go to their website, outonfilm.org, and you can get a ticket there, see the movie, and then again, that same group, it's me, Emerson, and 
it's our troop. It's our it's 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 the regulars. Uh, Anne and and uh, Rosemary and Newell are going to join us for a Q and A. And also today, today Broadway HD release Sorted Lives, and I was really excited about that because it started as a play. And you know, I've never been on Broadway with my play, so I kind of go, okay. But now I'm on Broadway HD with sissies with Emerson in it, with six characters, and now with Sorted Lives. That, oh, Dale's laundry is done. Laundry. Um, uh, Lupita. No. <laughs> Blake, Blake and I just did Jackie Cox's new nighttime morning show. It's called Good Morning Tonight. It's hilarious. Y'all, it streams on YouTube, Good Morning Tonight. And they have lots of Broadway stars on it. And I was like, well, I count because I have walked on Broadway many, many times. There you go. Up and down the street. There you go. And you've been in those audiences. I have been in theaters on Broadway. I have been in so many Broadway theaters, in them, so yeah. in them. Uh, in, I said in the balcony, unless we're with Louise Beard and then we're really close. <laughs> oh no, I did get to watch uh, Aida from the center seat on the front row with a $20 rush ticket in like 99 or 2000. Did you feel important? I did, no, but I was certainly sobbing uncontrollably at Heather Headley during the curtain call. She's probably got a restraining order against me. I am so glad you say the real gay part of our show because you have just proven it today over and over and over. Yes, y'all, I pander to every single stereotype. I just posted another Speedo pic on my Instagram because I don't got anything else to talk about. Well, you know, go, keep a balance. I posted your show poster yesterday. Today we'll be like, look at me in a tiny swimsuit. And tomorrow will be our radio show. It's all about balance. And I, I posted me and De Beverly D'Angelo looking for a cat. Yes. Uh, Wait, and one final thing before we get to our actual news stories. Those fucking taxes. <gasps> Those taxes. All, you know, in, in the hilarious list of all the people in the world that have paid more taxes than Trump, spoiler, it's literally everyone except like other billionaires whose accountants help them pay nothing. Like the people on unemployment this year because of the pandemic that he didn't deal with fast enough will pay more in taxes on their pandemic unemployment assistance. And he paid the last two years. I like the I like the ones that you know he made sure that he signed those checks that came from the government. Yet all of those checks were more than he ever paid in one year of taxes. Yeah. That, so he he couldn't even have given you you know what's that thing that we got that 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 uh, stimulus that stimulus check. He couldn't even. Yeah. Have given it. Well, and the the bigger thing is you know because if you take Trump out of the equation, right? What that demonstrates is that our tax code is. Fucked. Yes. Which is, why, which is why I was voting for Elizabeth Warren earlier, because I feel like she's the one to fix that stuff. Maybe she'll get to help. Um, but like the tax code is designed for the most wealthy to have the most opportunities to take advantage of it in ways that the rest of us can't. Man, that's what I feel like that, that Biden should do. He should just go, Elizabeth, come on in. I need you to fix that tax shit. Yeah, and just bring it, you know, put it's like we put theater together, put a great team together. You know, yeah. there's, there's a lot of them that we loved that that fell by the wayside. And yeah, join the team. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer paid more taxes than Trump made. Like, I mean, I just enjoy that it's embarrassing for him, most of all, because it pokes a hole in the how much money he actually has. Well, that he's and at this point, we got to take the little victories where we can. He is broke. He, our yeah. president is broke. Yeah. Um, As Adrian said, the average American pays 12500 a year. 
And look, I know it's about real estate and real estate investments and all of that crap, but it should fundamentally not be possible for you to spend the amount of money on like nonsense life things that he gets to and not pay taxes because you're shifting tax burden because of investments of millions and millions of dollars. Just so. Well, you know, I do extensions every year and this is my tax. I got my I got my tax return for my corporation today. And I just I, I sent my um, accounting. <laughs> because the personal ones are coming in and I know it's going to be it's going to be more money than I want to pay and I, I said please keep it around 746 Alan please I finally just finished paying off the payment plan that I had to get on from the year that we did a very sort of wedding and we opened a movie in 60 cities and didn't pay ourselves enough and then I drove for Lyft and I had to put on paying my taxes um, I finally wrote that last check it was very exciting and it was more than 750 well, yes, of course, of course. Um, all right, y'all, let's get on to the real news. We talked about Amy Coney Barrett when she was a potential uh, Supreme Court nomination, but of course, over the weekend, Trump put her forward. And I'm sure you have seen how many liberal groups have called her a threat to LGBTQ rights, abortion rights, the Affordable Care Act, and more. If you haven't seen all the details, she's what's considered an originalist when it comes to interpreting the Constitution. If you're not familiar with that term, it means the idea is to interpret the Constitution as it was meant by the men, because it was men only, who wrote it and intended and understood by the people who read it at the time. So she's questioned whether it was the Supreme Court's role to enact marriage equality, saying it should have been decided state by state. You know, equality, state by state. She said it strains the text of sex discrimination laws as they apply to anti-LGBTQ discrimination. That would have impacted the Bostock decision we had earlier this year that's helping trans people. And she has said the constitution does not expressly protect a right to privacy. And that evolution, right, of the constitution through the Supreme Court has had huge implications for LGBTQ rights, the right of us to have sex in the privacy of our homes, the smackdown sodomy laws, abortion rights, the woman's right to control her own body and more. Our 2018 confirmation for the appeals court was more contentious than most at that level. And that will certainly be the case here. Every LGBT organization you can think of, HRC GLAD, the LA LGBT Center, the National Center for Lesbian Rights, et cetera, have all come out against her. But I wanna focus on Lambda Legal CEO, Kenny Ken Kevin Jennings, excuse me, because they work specifically in the legal field as affects our community. And he said, if confirmed, Judge Amy Coney Barrett will unleash a Supreme Court majority that is hostile to all of our basic civil rights and the impact will be felt for decades. Judge Barrett's personal belief that marriage is between a man and a woman, coupled with her unwillingness to affirm that the Supreme Court's decision-making marriage equality, the law of the land is settled law, should sound the alarm for anyone who cares about us and our families. However, her cramped so-called originalist view of the Constitution threatens the civil rights not just of LGBTQ people, but a host of others, including women and people of color, who of course are in our community as well, who have relied on the courts to make progress in the fight for equality and justice. The unprecedented attempt to confirm a nominee with an election already underway is undemocratic and indefensible. Now, I know, you and I have talked, right? If the Democrats were in control of the of the House, the Senate, and the, and the uh, presidency right now, we'd be doing the same thing. And I tried to think about where's my hypocrisy on that. And I think the fact that voting has already started makes a difference. And I would hope if the situation were, were reversed, I would agree with that. Because there are Americans 
who had sent in votes before yeah. Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. And I would hope in the reverse, I would think that that is a reason to wait. I don't know though. I probably wouldn't. I know. <laughs> it's hard, but I think it matters, right? Y'all for us to consider where is our own, that we, that we engage our own where we might be hypocritical and the things we are asking our, oppo our opponents to do. But we got to fight her because as she seems scary. Yes, yes. And, 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 and scary in that way that uh, she just seems like you could just have a nice cup of coffee with her and we could just have a very nice conversation. You know, She's like every bigot we grew up with. Yes, you exactly. know they're just so nice and they love you and they want to ask about that roommate. But you know, I'm praying for you because God love you, but I don't love your sin. Don't want you to burn no. in hell. I want you to be in a mansion made of gold next to me in heaven playing a liar. Uh huh. You say, Amy, let me just get that uh, lipstick off your teeth. She says, Well, aren't you precious? But you're going to hell. Um, that, you know, that it's that it's that kind of thing. Okay, well, let's move on. Uh, you can always uh, tell the importance of the, of a nomination in this a nomination uh, in particular because you who is excited about it? And Brian Brown, that asshole bigot from the National Organization for Marriage, just he got so excited. He basically came when he wrote his email to his supporters asking for money, of course, to deploy a comprehensive pressure campaign aimed at holding. Republican Senate votes to confirm President Trump's pick to the Supreme Court. Brown said that getting Amy Coney Brown on the Supreme Court would shift the co court so far to the right that the left is threatening the country with total chaos, including violence. You know what? He may be right. I may throw a chair. Uh, he told them uh, Barrett's nomination could mean a reversal of Roe versus Wade, and it could also pave the way for the restoration of marriage to our laws and scraping the illegitimate anti-constitutional imposition of same-sex marriage on the nation. He added that her appointment will mean that religious liberty will be restored to its rightful place as a foundation a foundational constitutional right and that the fake rights that are constantly demanded by the left, including special rules for homosexuals and the so-called transgendered, they're just so-called, uh, will no longer see the light of day. You can be certain that LGBT extremists will be doing everything in their power to block this confirmation. You are so fucking right. Brian Brown, we absolutely will. We probably will not succeed, but you are right about that. I don't agree with you on much, but I agree that I agree with you on, motherfucker. Well, and also, look, I love. I know it feels good to like become obsessed with that weird cult she's kind of a part of, but I think it's a mistake to focus on that and not her record and statements of how she interprets the Constitution. Because I do think if we fall too far down the rabbit hole of like how somebody's religion impacts their, like nobody's religion comes out very well. So like, I think that's a feel good thing, but I think our senators as they, uh, you know, question her for this nomination will be best to focus on the decision she's made on the appeals court yeah. and the things she's written and said about the legal stuff. Because at the end of the day, even the Catholics, to someone who's not a Christian, you're some magical being in the sky, you know, told you he has a plan for your life. So like, uh, you know, lots of evangelical churches do uh, some interesting things. And there's the snake handlers. And, you know, then there's the religions that think, yeah, I'm just saying like the religious focus, I don't think will be a good tack uh, for 
devaluing her contribution to the court. There's plenty in her actual legal theory to attack. And you're talking about other kinds of snake handlers, not our demographic, right? Yeah, not our kind, not not the LGBTQ kind. <laughs> um, uh, all right, well, and something you know that happened last week sort of quietly, because there's so much news, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has been spearheading for this administration a sort of redefinition of international human rights at the United Nations. We talked back in July about the statement they put out uh, with that council he created that was entirely made up of uh, Christian uh, conservatives. Well, last week they presented a statement about this with a list of 57 countries joining the statement. But the countries that joined that list included a number of human rights abusers like Saudi Arabia and Egypt and authoritarian regimes like Poland, where we've talked about their LGBTQ free zones. And it's notable that many European countries, and particularly those that are more pro-LGBTQ, like France, the UK, and Germany, did not join us. That's awkward, right? Yeah. Speaking of Tony Perkins of the Family Research Council, Pompeo said, without a hint of irony, said, authoritarianism almost always follows the oppression of religion. Pushing religion out of the public square drives oppression, drives authoritarian regimes, and really gets at human dignitary. Completely ignorant of how much religious oppression has oppressed marginalized communities in our own country. Um, so the European Union urged its member states not to attend the speech to indicate their support for civil rights. One European diplomat said the Trump administration is cherry picking certain rights over others. I mean, that's embarrassing. This administration tried to talk about human rights to make religious rights a special class and make LGBTQ rights a partisan political concept. And then a bunch of other countries said, that's not civil rights, oh, shit. Not, and we're not showing up. Good for them. I know, but like, how embarrassing for us. Ugh. I know. That's why, you know, my friends invited me to move to New Zealand. Uh, could, we, could I do the show there with you? I know if he were to win, Blake's like, we're moving to France and I'm stopping grapes for the rest of my life. <laughs> like he's going to be like Lucy, Lucy on the stomping those grapes. Oh, no, very much that. Very oh, much you know, that. The Dell and Emerson show would, uh, oh, yes, we back to Sorted Lives. Yes, everybody's celebrating Sorted Lives 20, turning 20. So it's on Hulu, uh, Voodoo. Uh, is that right? Voodoo, is that the, is that the, the right? I don't know. I don't it's on a lot of places. Just Google it. Just Google it. But Broadway HD. So anyway, uh, we the Dylan Emerson show would not be complete without a pastor bigot story. All right, hard to find these for you. Real. Uh, thank you so much for digging deep, Emerson. So last week, oh, and I, boy, you sent me that video. I just fell down it watching this this guy. So Jesse Hersey. Now, here's what's really interesting to me. Jesse Hersey is only 28 years old, but y'all y'all go look him up. He looks like he's 44. Um, look at that. He doesn't look 28 to me. That's a, So anyway, he's the pastor of the Bynum Baptist Church in Pittsburgh, North Carolina. He spoke at a rally in support of Donald Trump the day after Justice Ginsburg died. The rally was organized by truckers by the young Republicans of Alamance County and held at the ACE Speedway. He told the crowd, first of all, I'm a Christian. Second of all, I'm a Republican. And in that order, 
after the event, after 200 of the truckers drove through Elon University in parade fashion, and it was led by Gary Williamson, described as the founder of the neo-Confederate hate group. During the impromptu MAGA Trump parade, Hersey was one of many to join in openly calling for white supremacy. Elon University professor Megan Squire, who researches extremists and their motivations, caught him yell the phrase on video while she held a Black Lives Matter sign. She tweeted, standing alone on the corner, silently holding my sign, they called me by my name, yell white power, then to my BLM sign, no, they fucking don't, bitch. Go home to your home, cunt. So that's a quote. Uh, uh, Christians, they're all Christians. The pastor denied being the person who yelled white power, despite the fact that she has it on video and others identified it as well. The young Republicans chairman, T.L. Mann, saying that Hersey has been immediately removed from our organization. Both Mann and Hersey claim they don't condone racism, despite their participation in an event where attendees attempted to disparage black people. And you should see these images. They're, people are, they, they went to a lot of trouble. They made masks that uh, have dildos with a black penis on it and black balls. And then they're waving a Confederate flag and holding signs that mock the Black uh, Lives Matter by alluding uh, to, uh, they basically had crack lives matter on their signs, which is just disgusting. Baptist conventions swear that Hersey's church is independent and not affiliated with the larger Baptist conventions because we know there's no bigotry at the larger Baptist church, just the smaller independent ones. So anyway, that's, the, the, that's, that's your bigot news for the week. I, I know that this woman, I don't believe she had to purchase this. No, she had, she made that. Don't you think? Well, yes, I meant the dildo. Oh, I know. Yes, she had to go in and ask for that. No, so. I just said what I said was, I don't think she had to purchase this. Oh, you think she had it? There it is. Dollar? There it is. Oh. <laughs> Oh, oh! I bet God. she had that in her collection. You I know? bet she did too. She did too. But I mean, like the the, the 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 like insanity of this, right? You know, we talk about in our being anti-racist and fighting racism, and how many people are proud to wave their racism out in public because this president has enabled them to feel proud and confident in that. And and here's what here's what is is crazy about it. You know, because I do read it and I read their the ridiculous rhetoric and there is a level of humor. And I, you know, when I read them and people are laughing or I'm, I'm assuming it's not really that funny. It's really just kind of disgusting. It's, I mean, not kind of, it's really disgusting. Yeah. Well, and there's certainly a privilege as white people to be able to laugh at something like that, where, you know, to a black person, there's, there's certainly never anything funny there. So to be clear, yeah. uh, there's an element of, we laugh at like, the horror show of it all because like the ignorance, it's, yeah. yes, the blatant, uh, ridiculous, the ridiculousness of it. But these are people living in a community and there are certainly black people, other people of color uh, who live in the world with the, these people who feel comfortable screaming white power uh, driving a truck down the street. So as we work to fight microaggressions and all of those things and systemic racism and major racism, like at all levels and 
they're, they feel good doing it because this president's made it okay. And, and what's really interesting is, I mean, because you, you know, you were talking about us being on that tour with Sorted Wedding, and I remember playing Charlotte and 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 playing Salisbury, North Carolina, and Raleigh. And there's so many cities and so many states in the South where we have a lot of people. I mean, it, there's a possibility that North Carolina is going to go for Joe Biden. A big possibility. So yeah, and they're their senator. But but the response is is it's bringing out these people and he's bringing out these people who feel like oh it's okay and this man did he, he this pastor is a racist yeah. denies it but he is it's on video and also this professor who was there right is a great reminder of a thing we talk about all the time that in every community that may seem red that may seem to be indulging uh, racism or homophobia or transphobia. There are those people standing in the gap, fighting the fight. This is a professor who teaches about this kind of person at the college in the town where the Speedway was. So we always applaud uh, and stand for and support people fighting to change uh, communities that may be perceived from the outside uh, this way. And stayed there and stayed there, you know. And, and you stay, uh, absolutely. Hey, I didn't stay. I did not stay in Texas. I left. But as Sugarland once asked, why don't you stay? Well, I love that song. Uh, well, we get stuck and it's a lot of negativity. We, you know, we got this debate tonight. We're all working hard for our candidates and all these things. But so I wanted to share just a lovely, uh, sweet story uh, from the lockdown. Chaya Milkton and Jody Ann Morgan met four and a half years ago at a circus in New York and just got married in the middle of the pandemic. And I want to show you their wedding photo while I talk about them. Uh, look at them. Uh, it's so lovely. Um, Chaya said, neither of our parents were interested in celebrating with us and Morgan wanted to just go to Vegas and get it done. I, on the other hand, wanted a more community affair. Our relationship has really been driven by building community. So when COVID hit and didn't seem to be going anywhere, we hatched a plan, a virtual wedding where no one would be in person, yet everyone would be invited. They chose an Airbnb in Indianapolis as their venue because it was a place they could adventure to safely and because weddings in Indiana do not require witnesses. So the only people in attendance were their queer, black, and plus-size vendors and their officiant, L.S. Quinn, a queer plus-size artist who traveled from Ohio to marry them. Chaya said, we worked with her to create a ceremony that really spoke to our unique relationship, beliefs about the world and marriage and leaning on the strength of community. I wrote portions of the ceremony incorporating traditional Jewish customs with a U.S. spin and driving home the idea that love doesn't conquer all and there is much work to be done, both in the world and to sustain a relationship that seems to defy all sense. They shared the live stream on Facebook despite the lack of their parents supporting and they ended up with more than 10,000 virtual wedding guests. So congratulations to Chaya and Morgan. And honestly, if you could be together in a pandemic and plan and execute a wedding in a pandemic, y'all are in it for the long haul. Well, I, you know, I, I got touched by just reading this story and then seeing their pictures. I just love that wedding picture. But um, I just think I've probably been going to the wrong places to find a husband. I mean, I'm going to try the circus after this is all over. Yeah, you should. I mean, at least Cirque du Soleil. There's definitely lots of our community present at a Cirque du Soleil. I'm not sure the Ringling Brothers, I think they went out of business, but I don't know if that's our crowd, but the Cirque du Soleil. Or just one of those, you know, one of those carnivals that come through town. with the uh -uh. You cannot end up with a carny, Leanne Locken. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, you know I you know I like those. Please, I, honestly, I want you to go troll a carny carnival festival just because you can get a whole another show. The, the follow up to the shit, sir. Me and my carnies. Oh my and god, lots of them. You know, I, I I I I do like a good carny. I do like love a good carny. Anybody? Wedding was in the New York Times wedding section. Those lips. Oh, awesome. All right. Well, this is a crazy story. Uh, this is in uh, 2010, 49-year-old Neil Gaskell and his wife used care fertility to have three children together, all conceived through IVF. Now, doctors at the clinic noted that Gaskell's sperm had Superman strength. They were just swimmers. Unusual high motility, making him an ideal donor. The clinic then offered them a discount if he opted to donate more sperm. So he said, I have one caveat. I don't want any of my sperm given to any gay couples. He said, I accept that some people will find this uncomfortable and that people might think I'm homophobic. You are, sir. Or against the idea of single mothers. But that couldn't be further from the truth. This wasn't about discriminating against same-sex couples. It wasn't for religious reasons, and I don't accept that it's bigotry. I think about these families, these children, every day, all the time. But you can't argue with bigotry. It takes a man and a woman to create a child, and it's my view that if children are being born with my sperm, they must have a mother and a father. Gaskell donated his sperm just before the Equality Act passed in the UK. Therefore, when gay couples approach care fertility about surrogacy, the clinic didn't hesitate to offer Gaskell's donations. Ultimately, he sired five children to three same-sex couples. His sperm also conceived children for single mothers as well. Well, he learned about the donations in 2016, and he said, I was numb. Everything after that was a bit of a blur. I spent 14 years never expecting to be a father. Now I've got 16 kids. Gaskell claims the news destroyed his marriage. Bullshit, sir. He and his former wife split after receiving this, oh, this news. He launched a lawsuit shortly thereafter, which he won and received a five-figure payout this week. I just wonder if they gave him his sperm back, the ones that what was left. Just a little sperm ask you. Say, here, you get, you get this money and here is your sperm. Go. With this victory, Gaskell said, now the most important thing is how these children feel. If, they'll if, they'll, if they've had a great upbringing, it would be music to my ears. But if they've had a tough time, it would be heartbreaking. I guess if they've had a tough time, like your three kids that may be going through some post-divorce traumatic. Yeah, I don't know. Also, fuck all the way off. You just sued a business because you wish that they had not been made is what those children have, they're not your kids anyway. That's just your DNA that contributed. Those two, those same sex couples, those single women are those children's parents. And who's to say that you could not have sired a children in a mom and a dad family and they're like the most horrible parents in the world. So maybe you should, yeah, maybe you should have kept your home together. Yeah, maybe you should have just kept your spunk. You should have just kept your fucking spunk and shut the fuck up. Oh, but he's got those power swimmers. I yeah. mean, he got put to use. He def it definitely worked. They said, man, your sperm. And he go and, and we'll give you, you know, 
25% off of these three babies. That's where they uh -huh. got it. I know. Like he got his own kids at a discount by helping other people have kids and then sued because he got me. Shut up. Shut are you what'd you say? Shut all the shut all oh, the I said, fuck all the way off. Fuck all the way off. That should be on a t-shirt. Fuck all I know. the way off. All right, y'all, we have reached the midpoint of our show and then some, so I'll just do a quick commercial to remind you that we work hard to bring you an entertaining and informative show. And if you want to send us a tip of a dollar, 10, 50, 100, or thousands and thousands, because you're just rolling in money, please do. You can tip us on Venmo at Emerson Collins or on PayPal to Beard Collins Shores Productions at gmail.com. It's in the banner Girl, below. I put it in the chat room. I have taxes to pay. Uh, don't we all? Not paid mine already. I have to pay. I do my taxes right away in January and then immediately pay because if I don't, I won't have any more money. What is this cute little thing? Oh, well, it's for the next story. The Evangelical Lutheran Church of Iceland has created a new ad that will run on buses all over Reykjavik, Iceland for several weeks to bring attention to diversity. Now, as you can see, conservative Christians are furious because the ad depicts Jesus as having a beard, breasts, and makeup. But a, chokes, a church spokesperson said, in this one, we see a Jesus who has breasts and a beard. We're trying to embrace society as it is. We have all sorts of people, and we need to train ourselves to talk about Jesus as being all sorts in this context, especially because it's really important that each and every person see themselves in Jesus and that we don't stagnate too much. That's the essential message. So this is okay. It's okay that Jesus has a beard and breasts. Soon, we'll be introducing more personifications where, for example, you'll see Jesus making a contribution to environmental issues. Obviously, they posted the ad and people got all pissy on their Facebook page, calling it tasteless and particularly stupid. And one said, the church should be ashamed for humiliating Jesus like this. I do want to sidebar to say that lots of today's modern Christians do a lot more to humiliate Jesus than this ad ever could. But one Icelandic pastor said, the image is open to interpretation, saying some people interpret it as a trans Jesus, others as a woman. Some see Mary with a beard, others see a genderqueer person. Views within the church are just as diverse as elsewhere. And I got to say, this is so smart, saying Jesus can be whatever. I mean, Jesus is still white here, and we know historically he wasn't. So at least y'all still got to keep him white. I thought it was that uh, singer on one of the, you know, that singer that was on that show with the beard and the makeup. That singer on that show with the beard. You know, you know. Please write in the comments what you all think that could be. You know, that singer with the beard. It was in a competition show, I think in Europe or somewhere. Amazing voice. Somebody's going to know this. Somebody. Are you talking about Conchita Worst? I think that's who, that's who I'm talking about. Look, you I'm got it. Where we started was that singer on that show. That singer on that show. And, and, and it didn't take you but 22 seconds to get it. I'm not going to I'm not going to take your abuse today, Emerson Collins. I am not going to take it. Um, all right. I'm old. I'm so fucking old. Um, <laughs> Calm down, Methuselah. <laughs> the brain is just it's just, just brain zaps all the time. Just like what? What was that? Okay, in our Senate spotlight today, uh, we're going to spotlight M.J. Hagar, and we're our we're doing Texas. Yes, it's Texas. Yes, Texas, Texas. It's in Texas. Senate in, in Texas. Now this is a tough race. It's a really tough race. I've been following this race, hoping that there's been some momentum, and there has been. So um, flipping the Senate, M.J. Hagar to unseat 
John uh, Cronin. He's leading her in the polls by five points right now. A month ago, eight points. So MJ has be became an officer in the Air Force after graduating from the University of Texas. She was elected for a spot in the pilot training program where she graduated at the top of her class. She went on to serve three tours in Afghanistan during a rescue mission in Afghanistan. MJ's helicopter was destroyed and she was in injured by enemy gunfire received the Purple Heart, and she is one of the only few women to be awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross with valor for her actions, saving the lives of her crew and patients. She's no longer able to fly. She went and led the charge to overturn an outdated policy limiting women's roles in ground combat position and open, uh, opened up hundreds of thousands of jobs for women in the military. Man, she's a hero. She has strong liberal positions on her side, including support for the Equality Act, and she has some great tattoos. So if you want to volunteer or donate, uh, mjfortexas.com. Yes. I mean, these Texas women, like y'all, this is again in our, in our ongoing spotlight campaign. And up next, we are going to talk about Gina Ortiz Jones. She is running for a seat in the House in our LGBTQ spotlight. And if she is elected, Gina Ortiz Jones would be the first LGBTQ congressperson from Texas. Obviously, that means a lot to us. She's running to represent a district that includes 820 miles of the border between El Paso and San Antonio. She ran in 2018 against the incumbent and lost by less than 1%. This time, the other candidate is new, so she's got a really good shot. She's the daughter of a Filipina immigrant who earned a four-year ROTC scholarship to Boston University. He entered the Air Force as an intelligence officer under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Then she served as the senior advisor for trade enforcement under Obama, later becoming Obama and then Trump's director for investment at the office of the U.S. Trade Representative. So she has got a really good shot. Uh, so to donate to her or volunteer, www.ginaortizjones.com in our little spotlights. And I do want to say also, while we're in this, a huge thank you to those that have contributed to my uh, little campaign I created for the 20 candidates we're spotlighting on the show. Uh, our contributions together to this point are up over $1,140. I just made it as an easy way for you all uh, to, if you wanna contribute to all the candidates we talk about on the show without having to go to each of their websites each week on the show. So I will put it in the chat again. Yes, good for you, Emerson. Look at you raising money. All doing our part, right? Wherever we can, however we can, at every level. Thank you for that. And it, it is really easy, y'all. You just push a button, you push them out, and if you've already registered at that blue, it, you, they've got your information, and bam, you're done. Yep. So uh, you can be done by the end of this story that I'm about to do, this quick update on blood ban. We've talked about this a lot, the FDA's change, and to a 12-month celibate period uh, in 2015 for men who have had sex with men and want to donate blood. Now, with the pandemic, they relaxed it to three months of celibacy. This was in April. And now a new study examining data on the first-time blood donations from 15 months before the 12-month policy until two years after has found that there was no statistically significant increase in HIV-positive blood. In total, now listen to these statistics, 4.8 million blood donations were analyzed. The HIV positive donations in that entire study 
391. And of course, they got it. They got it. It was eliminated. So in April, more than 500 doctors and experts, 500 of y'all, wrote an open letter to FDA calling it for it to completely overturn the scientifically outdated ban. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about, you know, the blood donations in my show, The Shitster. Ironically. Get your tickets for this Sunday. Isn't that a nice little segue? Yeah. It is. Well, and what's so stupid is they have to test the blood anyway, right? So it's, it's just a discriminatory policy. And my grandfather gave so much blood. He had those like those like 40 gallon those, those glasses they used to give out for like how many gallons of bloods you've donated over the years. It's so uh, amazing to me how many people I have told this. Uh, just recently hiking with my friend, I told her this particular story uh, and I was telling her about my my bit in the shitster did not know said how is that even possible well what about what about women they could be you know it's like it, she said this makes no sense and I said exactly exactly yeah. well and it's I mean straight why would straight people know right you know like uh, David said he passed that link on to everyone in his email address book thank you David I love that um, and one more quick update, and we're almost back on track. I told you guys about the case of Ed Buck here in West Hollywood, because he lived literally half a block from me, uh, who drugged two black men with meth and contributed to the, their deaths, Jamel Moore and Timothy Dean. Well, this past Friday, he was denied bail. He and his attorney had been asking for it, saying he was in poor health and the risk of COVID was great, but the judge said that he is a flight risk and no, he's got to stay in jail. Good. LA-based activist Jasmine Kanick, who I saw speak outside his apartment when we were protesting one night, said Ed Buck was asked to be confined to his home where his crimes were committed. Home is where his drugs were delivered. Home is where he was injecting people and sexually assaulting people. Home is where two black men died. So we're excited and happy that the judge saw fit to deny his bail. He literally committed all his crimes in his home and said, can I please uh, just stay at home? Yeah, you know what, you rot the fuck in jail. It proves that, you know, in all communities, there's bad people. He's a horrible, horrible human being. Uh, I think we're all excited about Boys in the Band. Uh, Netflix is releasing it tomorrow. And I wish we could have a little screening here at the house. Just all of you, just all come over, but we can't. But it's an adaptation of Joe Mantello's Tony Award-winning Broadway revival of uh, Mark Crowley's 1968 stage classic. Uh, I believe they won the Tony for Best Revival. And it stars the Broadway cast in every role, every single role, y'all, is played by an out gay actor, including Jim Parsons, Zachary Quinto, Matt, uh, my boyfriend, Matt Balmer, uh, Andrew uh, uh, Reynolds, uh, Tuck Watkins, uh, who's been on the Dell and Emerson show, uh, Robin De Jesus, uh, Michael Benjamin, Washington, Brian Hutchinson, and Charlie Carver. In an interview with Attitude, Jim Parsons said, I realized that being gay and growing up around people in a culture where that wasn't celebrated, where it was reviled, is in many ways had an impact on me. Happy as I am, I'm still working out of the fear I grew up with. That was revealing who I really am. I will somehow lose the love of the people who are important to me. I think we can all relate to that quote. Quinto said, our country is being driven into the ground by an administration which is permeated by this patriarchal white man, heterosexual, homophobic, transphobic mentality. Persecution still exists with increased trans visibility. There's 
come in, there comes increased violence against trans people, particular black trans women and trans women of color as gay white men. Maybe our challenges have diminished slightly, but we owe it to one another to stand up on behalf of each other. We still have a way to go. And Mr. Bomber said it was such a good freeing experience to get to tell a story with an entirely gay ensemble and creative team. It was so nice to have this collective experience together and a shared sense of who we are and who we want to be and an understanding of each other. I think that really informed the work. So I'm so stupidly excited. You know, in that cast, Jim Parsons graduated from the high school that I went to in Houston before I went to Singapore. And Matt Bomer graduated from like literally our sister high school down the street. So they're from the same suburb of Houston uh, where I grew up. And so when Jim talks about like the world he grew up in, yeah, he was sure. literally talking about the same world I grew up in. And I do, you know, we talk about representation. I love that every one of them is an out actor, not because it means, you know, because it means anything about acting, but because so many of them struggled to get opportunities for being out, you know, or and coming out is still brave when you're looking for work and that there are enough famous gay men, we certainly have work to do for other parts of our community to do a show with all famous out gay performers, you know, it's so exciting. So yeah, I'm super stoked to watch it because I did not make it to New York to see it on Broadway. I didn't either. And, uh, but um, I'm, I'm going to, I've, I added last year, I added it to the classic playlist that when I go teach at NSU and I was excited last year, someone chose it and did a report on it. And this year, uh, another student has already chosen it. So I, I love uh, that I got to be reacquainted because, you know, when you when you have these lists and they choose them, you got to read the play again just so that you know your shit. Of course. And I love it. You know, it's such an important piece in the journey of LGBTQ theater, right? It speaks to a very specific time, a time before HIV, to the specific way that gay men engaged with each other. It's not meant to represent everybody, but I think it's such an iconic uh, milestone in the journey of telling our stories. So I love they did it. Yeah. And then, you know, we talk about the importance of allies and what we can achieve with them on Friday. California Governor Gavin Newsom signed four pro-LGBTQ bills into law. Four. One of them will require the California Department of Corrections to ask inmates about their gender identities and pronouns and house them correctly. State Senator Scott Wiener introduced it and said the bill is life-saving legislation that will protect trans people in prison, particularly trans women who are subject to high levels of assault and harassment in men's facilities. Scott also introduced the bill we talked about previously that will require the state to collect information about LGBTQ people and the COVID-19 pandemic, so they're stat-specific to us. The third creates a trans wellness and equity fund in the state to help trans, non-binary, and intersex individuals access housing and healthcare. And the fourth bill is intended to fight discrimination in healthcare faced by people living with HIV. So a bunch of important issues that affect so many in our com uh, community, particularly the, some of the most marginalized people living with HIV, trans people. But I wanna talk about Scott Wiener for a second, You know, who introduced two of those bills and see why our representation really matters and how things focus on us because that first bill right trans people in prison to pick that as an issue to fight to make sure they're treated correctly when people in prison are already dismissed by many in society anyway you know we lock the doors and throw away the key 
He also earlier this summer introduced a bill to rectify an imbalance between how uh, teenagers are treated teenagers are treated uh, when charged with sex related crimes. It used to be that there was a loophole that gave judges the discretionary power to keep teenagers off the sex offender list when it's they're talking about teens of similar age, right? 17 year old, 18 year old, but it didn't do the same for same sex relationships. And he fought to fix that. Well, lots of conservatives suddenly treated it like he was arguing on behalf of pedophiles. Ted Cruz said today's California Dems believe we need more adults having sex with children, which is not what he was doing. He was trying to make it so that if an LGBTQ teen is in the same situation as an opposite sex teen, the judge has that same discretion. So that's somebody, you know, from our community fighting for our community uh, in issues that are complicated to talk about, right? Like that's hard to explain without sounding like you're saying adults should be able to have sex with kids, which is not what he's doing. So good for him for fighting, farting. Fighting for marginalized people. Party, party, party. You never know. I don't know. And being sure they're being treated equally in our justice system, in our prison system, and that the access to funds is equal for so many of us. Yes, absolutely. And um, our, our our good buddy Jigs uh, sent me this this uh, this story, and I, I I passed it on to Emerson. He said yes. So absolutely. Please, Police in Vietnam have compensated an estimated, okay, are you ready? 345,000 used condoms. Yes, you heard that right. Used condoms, which had been cleaned and resold as new. State media reported this footage shows dozens of large bags containing the used contraceptives scattered across the floor of a warehouse. Police said the bags weighed 800 pounds. Um, I don't know if that's before or after they cleaned them. Uh, the owner of the warehouse said that they had received a monthly input of used condoms from an unknown person. I just have so many questions. How many? I mean, oh, a woman de detained during the bust told police that the used prophylactics were first boiled, thank you, in water, then dried and reshaped on a wooden phallus before being repackaged and resold. The detained woman said she received 0.17, well, 17 cents uh, for every kilogram of recycled condoms she produced. That's not enough money, darling. It's not. Nowhere near. That just, I don't know. You know what? That brought back a memory for me. I don't know why. That Wait, what? What possible memory could some woman in a warehouse boiling condoms and shaping them on a phallus bring back for you? Okay, here's this, you were you're involved in this when we were shooting okay. Sorted Lives the series. We were at that CD motel room, and I they set up the video village where I'm directing in this one motel room, and then Rue McClanahan and David Steen are coming out of another motel room, and I put my hand down on the 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 nightstand on a condom that had nope. stuff in it. No. Nope. No, 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 And I freaked out and of course sanitized, washed and everything and they called the housekeeping and she had her gloves on and she picked it up and she said, oh, I must have missed that. And off she went, wiped out the coffee table, I mean the nightstand. So that, I don't know why that brought that memory back. Oh, I mean, I get it, but well, I pay 345,000. First of all, they said they came from an unknown person. One. 
Is this one person's lifetime collection? No, is that from a, collecting it. Well, I know, but you don't know, so I get to ask. Maybe they maybe from like the sex workers are all pulling a pot together at the end of the night. Did they still have fluids in them? Were those pre-dumped? I mean, and and how many phalluses? Did she have to roll one boiled condom at a time down the same phallus? Emerson, it is a lot of work for 17 cents for every kilogram of recycled condoms. 17 cents. I mean, I wish they had put this poor worker's name up. I would donate to a GoFundMe for her to never have to do this again. I know. I'd send her, I'd send her some money. I mean, I'd at least buy uh, several kilograms worth $5. So what's that? There's like 17 cents. That's like five kilograms per dollar. Give her $5. I'd buy 25 kilograms worth just to, so she could throw them in a dumpster. Yes. Oh, Lord have mercy. All right. We do like to end the show on a lighter note. And we have a fun little video I'd like to share with y'all. Uh, ben Wierda is the nephew of Secretary of education, Betsy DeVos. Now, nephew, we're not holding that against him, not his fault, who is related to, because he's also married to Kathy Lee Gifford's daughter, Cassidy. That's kind of fun. That's interesting. On a recent episode of Celebrity Family Feud, he participated with the Giffords versus Ricky Lake's family. Well, as they got to the end of the show and Ben came around the way, as they do for the sign-off and the clapping, uh, Ben's khaki showed off maybe a little more than a memorable part, if you will, um, of a moose is what I is all I will say at this point. Uh, and here is the video uh, that someone lovingly captured. We appreciate this Twitter user, Rex Chapman, capturing this video. Can y'all see it? Now watch. Ben's going to appear on screen and right there. Oh, that moose knuckle. Oh my And look, God. look, he looks down. He realizes, oh, 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 I could feel it. Oh, I could feel it. And Kathy, One more time. And Kathy Lee is proudly clapping. Oh, girl. He looks, he looks, he looks down. Oh, oh, he, yeah. could, he knew. He knew, y'all, he could feel it. He could feel the squish. Those pants were maybe a little tighter than he a is. Little, he got a little, got a little, gained a little weight during the COVID. In his dick? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes, you know. Just gets a little heavier. Y'all, if you could put on weight specifically there, you could come up with the greatest diet plan in the world, make all the money in the world and retire. I'm in. Give me that diet. Judy said about that about that condom cleaner. Whenever you think your job sucks, just think it could be worse. Thank you. Absolutely Thank you. could. Yes, it, it could be worse. And oh. this is our job for now, so it's not so bad. Just sitting here talking to each other and talking to y'all. Well, this has been fun and I'm excited about the debate. I know Emerson's not, but I'm going to, you know. I will be watching and we will certainly recap the highlights and probably mostly lowlights on Friday. I mean, that whole that whole section that's going to be about racism, like whoever came up with these topics was just awful. But we'll do it. We will get through it together. Well, I think the income tax will come up. I well, do. Yeah. That's it. Uh, yes. A huge thank you to Leanne Noble, Matt Burton, Ray Jarvis, Jonathan Pinkerton, who already contributed to our little fund today. And if you haven't yet and want to, uh, you can send us a tip on Venmo to at Emerson Collins or PayPal to Beard Collins Shores Productions at gmail.com. We will happily spend it. Dale will use it to pay some taxes. Yes. And I just want to say one one other shout out. Happy birthday, Dale Dickey. One of my favorite actresses in the world. It's her birthday today. 
Oh, and to Victor Roberts, who donated his regular show. Victor always donates 3209, and I find it hilarious. Thank you, Victor. We love that. And uh, all right. Well, this has been great, y'all. Thank you for joining us one more time. It's one hour to the debate. Pour your cocktails, say a little prayer if that's something you do, and we'll see you on Friday.